Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 44. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Dad. I mean, Brian Humphrey. Sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> Already just gravitating to that paternal that's overlay right. <laughs> that we're going to have to add to Master Brian now that he's a father. Woo! That's right. That's awesome. Yes. And you are not listening to Dads of the 20th Century. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to the Roundtable Podcast. That's right. Uh, every week on this podcast, on the Roundtable, not on the Dads one we in, we invite writers to come on the show and present a story idea to us and to our esteemed guest host and then we dive into it we powder its bottom we we make sure that the the nappies are all soft and warm uh, uh and and examine the child for any potential flaws because we want and then and then we perform genetic experiments on it uh, uh to try and warp it into a mutant a creature of awesomeness that fairly exudes what we like to call literary gold. And I so miss Brian. I, Ryan, I am so delighted to have you on as my wingman, but Brian has a gift for those. And, and as do you, I think I, I really, the, the two of you have a, a marvelous way of just evolving what it is that we do to these stories. I'm so grateful for that. Cause apparently I don't. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, dude, happy New Year, right? Yeah, no kidding, eh? Hey, so uh, now, in, in now up there in Canada, where the culture is so diversely different from down here in the states, do you have things like New Year's resolutions? Do you do you rock that vibe? Oh, of course we do. Yeah, we we do pretty much everything the states does. We just do it quieter and more politely, <laughs> and better tasting because yeah. you know apparently you've got like donuts and bacon that is just ungodly. Well, there's a flip side to that. As soon as you use the word powdered during your introduction, you know my mind went right to donut. That's a Canadian <laughs> thing we do. You say powder, I go donut. Okay. It took me a second to realize you weren't talking, making that food metaphor of dipping the donut in the powdered sugar. <laughs> but poutine is our export. I'll tell you right now, Dave. Poutine is our export. Every time I talk to an American, I'd say, well, half the time, I should say, actually, they don't know what poutine is. No, I don't either. What is poutine? It's French fries with uh, cheese curd and beef gravy on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, anyone that tells you Canada doesn't have a weight epidemic is full of crap. <laughs> That's because you guys are chowing on the poutine. Oh, yeah, come on. See, and that sounds vaguely lascivious, too, and kind of dirty. So, you know, it's poutine. It's, it's yeah. We're going to roll in that like a dog in summer grass, baby. Well, cholesterol sack was taken. We couldn't find another name. So, yeah, poutine. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Well, yep. uh, uh, I, I'm not going to ask about New Year's resolutions because my mind is already dazzled with poutine and the gloriosity that is uh, f fries, cheese curd, and, and brown gravy. So um, let's just let's just jeté along that same vibe of awesome, tasty goodness and welcome back our guest host, shall we? Mm. So, ladies and gentlemen, author of Silver Sands: The Recollection, Ack Ack McGack, uh, countless short stories, and so much other literary awesomeness that the world has been graced with. Please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, Mr. Gareth Powell. Gareth, thank you, sir, for coming back and, and for helping us workshop a story today. That's very cool. Uh, thank you for inviting me and happy new year. Yes. Happy new year to everyone. Mm -hmm. right, what about you, Gareth? Uh, new year's resolutions at all? Uh, new year's resolutions. Don't eat anything on fire. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that is a survival uh, tip, not just a New Year's resolution. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and I am I am right now going to resolve to eat poutine some sometime in 2013. <laughs> that's that's my resolution. I will help you. See, and Ryan has resolved to help me. We are of a mind here. This is awesome. This uh, is well, awesome. I'll, I'll counter your poutine with uh, a local delicacy we have over here called chitlins. Uh, oh, now wait, that. chitlins. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to explain chitlins. Chitlins is uh, pig's intestine fried in garlic. Oh my God! See now, now we we've had chitlins here in the South, here in Tennessee, and I've heard of that. I I hadn't been. A, now is that? Do you know the hor- origin of that, Gareth? Is that something that began in the UK and was transported to the US, or or was it a viral thing in the other direction? Do you know? Um, didn't everything begin in the UK and get transported? Oh well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> All the good stuff, anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Gareth, um, you've you've got so much awesomeness behind you. What what's coming up? What can fans of Gareth Powell look for uh, in the coming weeks and months that will that will just titillate and and send them frothing uh, to their computers or local bookstore? Well, the novel you mentioned earlier, Akak Macak, is being published in. On the 3rd of January 2013 by Solaris Books, that's published in the US and the UK in mass market paperback in the US, normal paperback in the UK, and uh, obviously a Kindle version as well thrown into the mix. So that'll be out, that'll be hitting the stores, there'll be just monkey fever in every city in the West End. <laughs> um, people will be going mad for it and it's it's yeah that's coming out i'm very excited about it I, I spent most of this year writing it and i turned it in in june so i've been waiting since june for it to, to come out and it's been a very long wait you don't wait very well do you no <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been working on we're, we're we're all pumped for the monkey fever and and i'm really sorry that my normal co-host brian couldn't be here because he is he you know look up monkey fever in the dictionary his picture is right there <laughs> so he's going to be all oh, over this I, i've got uh, hopefully a, a few exciting announcements coming out shortly um, about what the next novel will be um which I, I'll just have to say, fans of my previous novels will be very excited about. Ah, um, excellent. There will also be an announcement about a certain very famous British uh, comic as well that I've been doing some work for. So there's all sorts of good stuff coming out in general. Oh my God, you are a shameless tease. <laughs> That's marvelous. We, so, so what, in the next month or so, that those, those tidbits of, of actual data will come out? Uh, well, any minute now, really. Uh, beginning Excellent. Of January. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say more because I don't want to get clobbered by angry PR people. But it's, Sure. It's, they're, they're vicious. They're yeah. vicious. Got to keep them on side. That's right. And, 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 and in front of you, preferably. <laughs> um, what, what about uh, uh, conferences or conventions? Are you, are you a con-goer? Well, I know you're a con-goer. What, what's coming up for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my schedule at the moment, which is, is pinned to my notice board in front of me, is uh, doing uh, Sci-Fi Weekender, which is a, a, a three-day thing up in North Wales uh, with all sorts of Doctor Who actors and so on. Uh, doing that in, in March. Um, EasterCon, which is the British Science Fiction Association convention um, at Easter, obviously. Um, and then <laughs> Octo- the October BristolCon, which is the southwest of England's premier top um, sci-fi convention, at which I was guest of honour in 2012, which was a obviously a big honour because it's my hometown as well. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to dip my toe in World Fantasy Con in October. And I've 
never been to a World Fantasy Con before, so this is uh, this is my first dip in. But uh, it's all very exciting. Is that in Brighton or is that in London this year? That's in Brighton. Uh, That's the, in Brighton. Okay. The world, the world sci-fi convention, Worldcon, is in London in 2014. So right. Okay, that's where I got that in my head. Wow, you've got a full schedule, sir. Yeah, well, gets me out of the house. <laughs> Very important. That's awesome. We will make sure that all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes uh, so so that our listeners can can find all of that cool stuff and and stay abreast of, of the gloriosity of Gareth Powell out in the world. Um, dear friends, I'm, I'm going to propose something here. I'm going to say that we take a, a brief break, a pause, uh, gather our wits about us. Uh, we'll distract our listeners with a with a promo of some kind, some awesome podcast or ebook or or Kickstarter campaign they need to know about. And then when we come back, we will begin our campaign of of literary gold with a story workshop. What do you say? Sounds good. Yeah, it sounds okay. I think that'll be great fun. Friends, mm -hmm. don't go anywhere. We're going to distract you. You go off and enjoy this and then come right back because we'll be here. You better be too. My name is Justin McCumber. I'm the creator and one of the co-hosts for the Dead Robots Society podcast. Every week we discuss a variety of topics that are fundamental to the craft of writing. From the differences between tone and theme to world building to how to create compelling antagonists. Along with the roundtable discussions, we've also had the pleasure of interviewing published authors, television writers, podcast luminaries, publishing house founders, and magazine editors. We're dedicated to our listeners, and we work hard to pack our episodes with as much quality education and entertainment as possible. We never stop encouraging ourselves and our listeners to always be writing and to always be improving. The promised land of publication is our goal, and we know that together we can achieve it. If we can also have a good laugh along the way, all the better. You can find us online at www.deadrobotssociety.com. At our website, you'll find show notes, links to our personal sites, our email address, and direct download links to our episodes. You'll also find a link to our forums where we've created a private critique group so that you can safely post your work and get comments and suggestions from us as well as our listeners. All we ask is that you participate by critiquing in return. So come to our site, subscribe to our show, and join us. You can also find us at iTunes. Just search for Dead Robots and we'll be there. After that, get writing. We are. All right, so check it out. Now we're moving into the best part of the roundtable experience, ladies and gentlemen. This is the story workshop. We've got the pilots. We've got the ground crew. We need the plane. We need the passenger for today's ride into the skies of awesomeness. Dave, who's boarding the roundtable podcast plane today? Oh, yes, and your exits, friends, are all locked. Nobody's getting off this plane, <laughs> baby, so... <laughs> Um, uh, Ryan, our guest writer uh, for this episode of the Roundtable Podcast, attended Arkansas State University for electrical engineering and English. So right off the bat, we know he's a bit bipolar, um, where he wrote a collaborative musical <laughs> stage play called Within Confines of Likeness. Which, which just sounds so rich and weighty and, and thought-provoking. Um, now, he's, he's held many odd jobs since then, including delivering donuts, powdered or otherwise, <laughs> uh, working in a wind chime factory, freelance database design, and contract assignments with the U.S. Navy and Air Force. 
Now, at present, he's fascinated with fountain pens and vinyl records. Uh, Notable accomplishments in his past include being mistaken for a car thief, spelunking, and having blown up an outhouse, all within the state of Arkansas, which speaks volumes about that particular state in the American Union. (laughs) Um, He's currently working as an IT manager at Penn State University's main campus and writes short-form science fiction, which appears at his blog at groundedstories.com. Dear friends, welcome to the slightly smaller but no less comfortable chair in the business class of the Roundtable Mm. podcast, Mr. Daniel Ritter. Dan, thank you, my friend, so much for stepping up and offering a story uh, for this episode. We are so very grateful. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled with beans, and there's plenty of leg room. Oh, good. Excellent. And and we'll be sending out snacks and so on. If you have any peanut allergies, let us know, okay? <laughs> I do not, but it sounds good. <laughs> uh, dude, a collaborative musical stage play? That's correct. This, was this college, high school? When were you doing that? Uh, this was late college, maybe 1994. Okay, and can you give us like the 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 tagline? I mean, within confines of likeness, that sounds weighty. What was it about? Uh, more of a uh, fantasy type thing. Uh, imagine a village with a uh, doll maker who worked there, who uh, was making dolls who were more and more progressively uh, self aware. And uh, one of these is a marionette who uh, decides that she knows enough to go out on her own. Uh, he chases her down to keep her safe, uh, thereby revealing all the things that uh, fell apart when he was banished from his village years before. And the the whole process was the uh, the revisiting and the reconciliation of all the things gone wrong. That's intriguing. Holy crap. Um, is that available out there anywhere? Do you still have like the script somewhere? I have all the scripts. I have photos from the gig. I've been meaning to put it together, but it, no, it's not available anywhere at the moment. Okay. Well, work on that because that <laughs> sounds utterly intriguing. I'm already I'm inspired. And that's not the story that you came to workshop, is it? No. There's no, another. it isn't. Let's let's get into that business right now. Um, Dan, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. So give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it going to be a short story, a, a musical comedy? Uh, uh, you know, whatever whatever format you see this story taking place in. Um, give us the tagline. Introduce us to the world if there's things to be introduced. Some character overlays, and then a brief signposting of the story itself, so we can have some good material to workshop with, sir. We are turning over the mic to you it's all yours great thank you very much uh this story is called grounded it's a novel length post-apocalyptic science fiction with a noir feel uh here's the hook technophobe istra seriano deals with the return of her manic artist ex-boyfriend as her psychology firm is purchased by a nanotechnology corporation whose ceo plans to build a god without flaws by harvesting human dna as long as istra quietly cooperates Uh, The theme of the story is the struggle of nature versus technology. So a little background to set the stage. Uh, This is far future Earth. No space flight, no aliens, no magic as such. Oil reserves discovered in the Gulf of Mexico have tipped the world's power balance, which begins the race for mastering the next superior technology, which is nanotechnology. The West is slowly is slowed in its technology by the snarl of safety regulation, while the East develops rapidly, resulting in a catastrophic event called the Ripping, which destroys Australia, Asia, and Europe. In the surviving North and South America, nanotech becomes viable in public services, manufacturing, and retail, such as handheld gadgets, implants, and contact lens-based computing. 
the story is a little inverted in that my protagonist is my evil mad scientist who seeks to improve humanity even if by way of sacrificing it. Miller is the CEO of Danatech, a monopoly technology firm with holdings in every sector of society. He is in control of massive computing power and invasive surveillance systems, which often act as our eyes as the readers. Miller secretly believes that God is flawed, and since people were created in God's image, it should be a simple thing to harvest enough DNA to reverse engineer the pattern and recreate a flawless God. As a result of this experimentation, his test subject military police begin breaking down psychologically and otherwise, so he seeks to hire a psychologist on staff to investigate the snafu. Our antagonist, then, is our hero, Istra. She is a self-made woman with very little family who owns her own psychology firm. She's surrounded by friends that each experiment with nanotechnology in different degrees. And she's not opposed to technology, but she's opposed to the crutch that it can create. Nothing is above pure human nature for her. Never married, but she came close, and that boyfriend is the one that returns to create chaos for her. It's about the same time that she's approached for buyout by Dana Tech. Easter's best friend, Thalia, uh, who's a self-owned prostitute of the highest caliber. She is chock full of nanotech of every variety, as her income affords her and as her clientele appreciate. Although she seethes with gadgets and implants, she is in control of all these internal systems and appears to any casual observer to be free of any augmentation whatsoever. She is well-connected. Easter's ex-boyfriend is Cave, a failing artist who returns to torment her. He is without augmentation, but will secretly begin to dabble. Easter will discover this, but will not confront him, which bitterly whittles at their trust and faith issues. Meanwhile, we have Cromwell, who is our very noir private investigator. He is also without augmentation, because he feels it keeps him untracked and affording secrecy. As readers, we're aware he is tracked, of course, primarily externally by city animals, cats, and squirrels that are part of Miller's surveillance network. Finally, we have Hex and his weird little Asian, Cuban, androgynous buddy, Cake. They are key members of the street-level underground of people that hack technology. These two guys run a computer repair shop, which is just a cheap facade for their dealings under the radar. Not even Miller can get a good read on these guys. So, our story, Act 1. Without much warning, Cave returns, and Easter struggles with letting him back into her life after what happened. We don't get a good, clear feel for that, but we know it wasn't great. They struggle with trust issues. Easter gets bought out and installed at Dana Tech and begins dealing with clients there, discovering how badly technology is shredding their minds and bodies. Miller reveals to her his plan to rebuild God, or perhaps he doesn't reveal on kind of that's one direction we can go with this story is whether or not she knows about Miller's plan or not. Uh, maybe she discovers it later in the unfolding of, of working there. He truly doesn't feel it's wrong, which makes him a monster of the highest caliber. Her friend Thalia is resorted to for advice uh, with technology uses as Easter feels it coming closer to her personally, and now she's employed by the enemy. Cave becomes tempted by obtaining technology since all of Easter's friends have cool new gadgets. Uh, there's a beheld, handheld device, uh, the beholder contact lens or eye implants you can get. Uh, Cromwell is slowly piecing things together and gets hired by an anonymous client who suspects that there is a wizard behind the curtain controlling everything, technology, churches, politics, business, and finance, and wants that person unveiled. Act 2. Easter learns by way of military clients how badly people can react to augmentations and how far gone they are from a pure humanity. Miller engages with cat and mouse with Cromwell, 
Cave and Easter nearly, nearly reconcile before she discovers he's hiding his augmentations, which exposes that he's been registered and lying about it. To her, that's a sin above all sins. Cave retreats to his street art and attempts to reconcile with her by applying for military service to, to redeem himself. She, of course, is adamantly opposed, seeing what she sees at her work. He gets involved with an underground, body-augmented, fight-club-type game and ends up nearly dead, but on life support, and is rescued from the ditch by Hex and the underground. Cromwell confirms that, yes, there is a wizard controlling everything, and it's deeper than anyone knows, and that it is, in fact, Miller, although he is unaware that Miller is the man who hired him. Act 3. Easter returns home to discover that she is locked out and her accounts have been flushed. She and Thalia must search through the street life in the underground and hire Cromwell to locate Cave, which they succeed in doing, but he's nearly dead. Everything pieces together for all the major players here in Act 3, and it's devised that Easter can get into Danatech to save Cave's life, as well as destroy Miller in the process, preventing Godplan's final success. In the end, Cave is saved, and it, or at least off of life support, and Miller is crushed, but Godplan goes online as Easter Cave, Thalia, Cromwell, Hex, and Cake flee, perhaps to the Eastern Wastes. So, the end game. Um, Easter engages with technology. She's forced into using technology to have Miller defeated, uh, but unfortunately, Godplan succeeds. Cromwell's case is closed. Easter uses tech to rescue Cave, and uh, the good people here in this case escape from a prison that they've, they've been created for them. It's is exposed to their misdeeds. Uh, our primary conflicts, uh, we have Miller and Istra is the embodiment of the human versus technology clash. Istra and Cave is that human-human uh, drama that goes on between uh, partners. Miller and Cromwell is this whole cat-and-mouse noir detective thing throughout. They don't necessarily know each other, but they're chasing each other kind of thing. Uh, at stake, we have Easter's fundamental principles to honor humanity above technology, Miller's principles to sacrifice humanity to achieve a higher humanity, uh, Easter's well-being, devotion to Cave, and uh, Cromwell's solution to the case. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well done, sir. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, uh, now, what are you hoping to get out of this conversation, Dan? Thought a lot about that. Um, there's 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 a few key pieces that that I would really like to develop, and I'm I'm hoping that that's what we can kick around here a little bit. Uh, a couple of questions: Why is Easter such a key for Miller? You know, he hires her in as a psychologist, but is that all there is to it? Is she holds some? Is, is she the last piece of some piece of DNA that does not that he does not yet have? Does does her signature here? put god plan into motion is she uh, is she a higher stakes piece of the puzzle here for right now she is just you know hired as a psychologist to to help work with the people there but i think there's so much more that it could go that i've not really explored okay um, another piece is why is it so essential in the end to infiltrate dana tech to rescue cave you know what what piece of magic medicine is there that this is where we have to go, that this is the only way to save the guy that she loves and thereby destroying Miller. Why is that such a key piece? I think those are two really big things. So uh, okay. anywhere it goes I, from there is good. 
All right. I, I think there's plenty of food to chew on here, uh, sustaining the food metaphor once again. Um, but Ryan, would you be so kind as to cover our ass so that we're, yeah. we're, we're well and truly uh, protected as we move forward? Yeah, and trust me, the, the, the nerd in me really badly wants to do this all in SQL code because if Daniel's a DBA and I'm a DBA, we could probably have an entire conversation here that you guys wouldn't understand. I, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm just going to remind you that everything we're about to tell you right now, Daniel, could be complete crap. It is totally up to you whether or not that is true or false this is your story not ours we're just here to pitch out the good gravy if you want it do you agree with that i do gnarly outstanding well done master ryan all Mm. right uh let's get this party started and we always start with a quick trip around the table uh uh, getting first impressions and a few questions of clarification so uh our custom is to defer to our guest host so gareth uh what were your first impressions of dan's story idea um what's working what's not working for you and do you have any questions of clarification that might nail things down in your mind as we move forward uh first off sounds like um Sounds like my kind of story, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a you know big, big cyberpunk fan going way back. This is this is ticking the boxes. Reminded me of uh, books like The Electric Church and mm-hmm. um, Altered Carbon. Um, books oh, yeah. like that. I don't know if you've read those down. But, I have uh, not, but they're going on my list. Yeah, <laughs> get get them there. <laughs> you know, this is remind remind me. It's it's it strikes me like a classic kind of. Cyberpunk tale, Nanotech, close to my heart, use it myself in a couple of stories, excellent stuff. Um, the, the, the one thing that really leapt out at me as you were reading it was, did you say that the whole of Australia, Asia and Europe had been destroyed in a Nanotech? <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, the, 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 the thing that got me about that one was, um, first off, you'd have to have a convincing reason why um, America escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, for instance, the, the nanotech was changing everything into grey sludge, it, mm-hmm. it would have no problem doing the same with the, the ocean between the the continents if it if it could get from Australia to, to Asia and, and, and Europe. Right. Um, you'd have to have some convincing reason why it stopped. Um, the only convincing reason I could think of was it was stopped by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you'd like want to put that in the, in think about that somehow. I, I do have a, a construct that addressed that issue, but I do like your idea too. I need to think about that. Uh, to if I could brief it, uh, the, the concept is you know if you go back to the um, oh god the name escapes me the the author who did the the initial gray goo concept was that um oh yeah I was just thinking of gray goo I can't remember yeah yeah the the thing the thing that. I didn't like about it was the concept that these machines are insatiable and unstoppable. And to me, they're, they're machines that have to have some power source and some purpose and some end to their task. So in, in this case, it's sort of like a gray goo thing, but for whatever reason, it is water, the H2O molecule that interrupts their operation. So when they hit water, they're hindered greatly. Uh, and in the case of of how it got from Australia to China was this ridiculous notion that uh, the the Chinese facility had tunneled under the earth crust from Australia to China, and they were the the factory in Australia was a secret notion. No one knew about it. That's where they were conducting the unabated experiments that blew apart 
traveled the tunnel and everything else went with it. So okay. it's really well, ridiculous, but that's where I went. <laughs> Gareth, what else do you have, sir? Anything? Any other initial questions or, or curiosities? Well, so still talking about the ripping. The the, the other thing I thought was, um, could I mean you make it sound as if as, as if life in North and South America continues fairly much as it as normal, despite you know six billion other people are just having been destroyed. So I was just wondering, could America survive without Australia, Asia, and Europe? Because well, that's a good question. The, yeah. I mean, the economy would would disintegrate instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have no import, no export. The um, all the different uh, types of food and things that are pulled into the country suddenly America would be completely self reliant. And I just wondered if it could sustain its own population under that circumstance. I don't think it would in 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 any sane and normal sense. Yeah. I think it would have a great effect on the landscape of, of what it would take to continue at that point. Well, and you could also argue that, uh, uh, you know, if the ripping was uh, a mistake or was it orchestrated, as, as Gareth suggested that somebody actually stopped it, maybe somebody actually started it and had built economic structures uh, in the wings waiting, you know, maybe fostering South America as as a, an industrial power to take up some of the slack uh, uh, of the now missing other superpowers uh, and then allowing those newly placed mechanisms and structures to be firmly under the control of our nefarious head. I'm looking at Miller myself, mm-hmm. uh, just tying it back to the story, but that's 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 an option. That's an option. I have a short story that uh, is a is a presidential address breaking the news of the ripping and uh there's there's explanation of what we're doing now and and how do we survive now that, that cool. kind of goes into that but uh okay. but it's definitely a point i think i i may have skimmed over a little too quickly i think the the impact should not go neglected i think there's a lot more to that well and gareth's point of of you know a credible uh, uh world in which the story takes place is important and and that's definitely a sticking point definitely excellent anything else gareth uh, no, that's, that's me for now. Okay, very good. Ryan, what about you, sir? First impressions and questions? Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. I um, I like the direction you're going with this. I like the fact that you've got that juxtaposition of a, of a protagonist who, by all accounts in any other way, could be treated as the antagonist. But I, I think my first comment is that I didn't get that sense unless you said that, if that makes sense. So you had indicated mm-hmm. that you're... you're main character is almost your villain in this in so much that his goals are aligned that way but I didn't really get the sense that that's where this is going and I didn't start thinking that way until you brought that up um, I do like the depth you've got there and I also think that there's a lot of those kind of juxtapositions of, of good and bad here you've got Istra natural and, and Miller who's technologically oriented you've got wealthy and not wealthy you know you've got a lot of these different class based systems here that'll make those those two characters seem very juxtapose uh, sorry and everything they do i do have a question about istra i'm i'm not sure if i missed this or not i was typing like a fiend here and you talk about it as quickly <laughs> as i do um, <laughs> does istra have technology herself or is she clean for lack of a better way to put it nothing internal she uses uh she has a handheld computer she has a ring that that interoperates with uh, the systems around the house uh the systems around the house of course are technological but nothing within or on her person uh, to her, that's that's dirty, almost. Right. 
not in a fun way. <laughs> I, wanted, I want to allude to that a bit. I'm not going to talk about it too much right now, but I think as this conversation goes on, I find that when I'm reading cyberpunk or when I'm engaged in cyberpunk and then I relate it to the, the way technology works in the real world today, I always come back to this concept of the digital divide, which I'm pretty sure you know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I find myself thinking, how well can a person operate in a world of nanotechnology and high cybernetics without access to those machines? Mm-hmm. Especially if she's a professional like a psychiatrist or a psychologist. That said, I also think that her lack of internal mechanical constructs might be a very good reason why Miller would have picked her out and might help you address one of your questions there. Why, would, it, point. why would he go to her? Because he can't find her. And if he can't find her, no one else can find her. That's just kind of the random thought I had. So yeah, that's a very yeah. good point. Yeah, I will. Excellent. I will be doing what I always do and dwelling on those characters and letting you know the people who are much more intelligent than me talk to you about the plot. So <laughs> and that said, Dave, that's outstanding. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I echoed that this is a fabulous environment, a world, and mm-hmm. and this this the story elements, the themes. I, I'm totally there with Gareth on the nanotech. Oh my god, um, and and quite frankly, the notion of reverse engineering God mm-hmm. totally captures my imagination. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. Now, I, one question, because I must have zoned out or something. Uh, uh, at one point, Cave was fighting a, in an underground fight club and was saved by Hex and Cake. Hex and Cake, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love the names. Uh, awesome. Um, how did Cake, not Cake, how did Cave end up in Miller's, what's Miller's company's name? Uh, Dana Tech. Dana Tech. How did Cave end up in Dana Tech? How did I miss that? Um, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot that I've, I've pieced into the, the, the story I've got written that I haven't really touched on here. One of those is, um, there are several things set up around the city by which Miller is harvesting human bodies. Uh, oh, okay. And so cave gets pulled in, it's collected right. as a body harvesting. Element. Ostensibly got it. Ostensibly the losers of this, this fight are, are not alive. Gotcha. And uh, otherwise, the the club owners would have to find some way to explain that to the police who are purchased. They're right. bought off. The police haul off the bodies for the harvesting. Everybody's happy because everyone's getting paid. And I can almost see uh, uh, maybe a subclass of of administrative official of of Dana Tech who are the reapers who mm-hmm. go out and collect these bodies, and like and that. that could actually be a kind of a cool. Uh, a subculture because that would be very sinister and creepy the gatherers of the dead um one uh point about your theme uh the struggle of nature versus tech um in in listening to you describe the technology and how nanotech has been evolved and and miller's position in it as sort of the spider in the middle of the web um i'm wondering and i just want to put this on the table i don't know if this is even a valid thought but it's not it's almost like it's not so much tech so much tech is the vehicle it's the information that seems to be the the coin of the realm and the tech is just the vehicle between that um and you know with miller having so much data trying to recreate god uh uh and with data being so prevalent in terms of the the god what are the things in the eyes the contact lenses holy crap uh the the contact lens computers and the the handheld computers and all of the monitoring devices and the the mass amounts of datum that are being drawn into miller's uh environment that i I can see that as being kind of a side issue and maybe one of istra's uh problems with technology um one thing that that stood out to me is that you've got two characters who are clean uh istra and cromwell 
-hmm. And that kind of blunts the effectiveness of having a completely clean character. Mm -hmm. If more than one character in the story is completely clean. Um, So I'm wondering... I, I don't have a solution right now, but I'm wondering if maybe Cromwell is a little wired uh, or Easter is a little, maybe, maybe one or the other can be tainted a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the other question that struck me is, you know, you gave us a great description of Thalia, mm-hmm. but Thalia doesn't really show up in the story pitch that you gave us. Is she an extraneous character? Um, not so much. Uh, she she appears again uh, multiple times. What, what is her purpose? What is her purpose in the telling of the story? She's Dante's Virgil. Ah, when okay. um, when Cave goes missing, uh, Easter doesn't know what's happened to him. He, he he's he's missing often, but he's missing substantially at one point. And she of course has no tech, so she's not tied in. Well, she's she's got your average retail stuff with TVs okay. and entertainment and things so like that. Easter goes to Thalia yeah, to I need get to the find what track. happened, what's going on, and okay. Easter is well connected with the underground and you know her her prostitution business and all of okay. the people she services. Gotcha. She's she gotcha. becomes the 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 Virgil that takes us through hell. Got it. To Got it. Find okay. Cave and what happened to him. In that in that capacity, that's very cool. I'd like to see more. Uh, I'd like to see her tied in more uh, uh, intimately to the storyline. Right now, she's she's kind of a secondary character, and I and I maybe maybe that's where she needs to be. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. That that came up. And the last question I have before I turn it back over to Gareth is why. At the very beginning, the very first scene that you laid out to us is Cave returning to Istra. Why? He has, uh, he's been, there, there is a small scene that I've written up, uh, drafted for that. He's, he's out as an artist and he's setting up shows and no one is showing up. Uh, okay, so he's, so he's down on his luck as an artist. His art isn't selling. He's not a successful artist. And so he goes back to his girlfriend? Pretty much. Uh, I'd like to revisit that. Um, but that's, I'll, I'll put that out there too. Okay. Got it. Cool. Um, so we we're, we're working on there. There's good rich stuff here, but there's, there's stuff to be explored. Gareth, what, what would you like to zero in on? What do you, what do you see as something that maybe we could shore up or explore, uh, for Dan to make this story awesome? Right. Uh, well, um, I've been thinking about the questions Dan asked, like, uh, why, why Miller hires Eastra? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of thoughts about that. First one, if she's very unaffected, maybe he wants a control mm-hmm. because he's experimenting on people who are, um, are infected by various nanotech devices and she's not. He, he's, if he's a scientist, he'll want a control, sort of a, a baseline human to, to bounce results off. Um, I like that. Yeah, that, that's one possibility. The other one I came up with was maybe she has a peculiarity of her DNA um, because of where she comes from or something that is not in the general population. And I was thinking of island populations um, that have grown up through many years. There's one I saw, I can't remember where it is, but it's a documentary, and there's a gene on this island that basically the people who have the gene um, are very short physically. Um, but they they never get heart attacks, they never get cancer. Um, and they're resistant to it because it, it's something to do with the, the, the growth hormone produced by the liver. The the gene they have suppresses that and that prevents the, the 
the heart and, and cancer problems from developing. So perhaps she had some gene that he can't, he would have to go to a lot of trouble to get, but she carries, so it's easy sure. for him to hire. And maybe that, maybe that gene is, is one of the reasons why she doesn't do tech. Maybe she can't. Maybe yeah. the, the gene re- forces her to reject nano, nano implant augmentation. And maybe she and people like her aren't breaking down the way his, uh, his test cases have been breaking down. I, sure. I want to dive in here for a second because I, I, I understand where you guys are going with this, but I, I personally am hesitant to suggest that it should be her that would be that clean sample. I do agree with the idea that Miller would want that, but it sounds to me like you've got a better character to be a quote-unquote victim for that in Cromwell than in Istra. I mean, a, a private investigator who has no technology, who, who cherishes the fact that he is hidden and hard to find is the ideal person for that, because Miller can pluck him off the street, hook him up to a bunch of machines, do his thing, and then dump his corpse in a river somewhere, and no one's going to miss him. But Istra, being a psychiatrist who's you know got all these friends and relationships in the story and outside the story, I feel like she's... I don't know. I, I, I just feel like you got a better character in Cromwell if you're going to go that route. And that would explain why Miller would hire Cromwell and not some highfalutin, Bluetooth, and jackass private investigator with a big firm, you know? Like, here's this guy with no tech who gets secretly hired by an anonymous client to literally uncover himself. The whole thing could just be a game of cat and mouse, like you had said, to put Cromwell in the right place in the right time to be snatched up and plugged in. Just as a total thought. Yeah, I like that. That's that's I I see what you're saying, Rye. I'm I'm not sure Cromwell is even the best choice because he's, you know, one of one of the things about this story, Dan, that I'm that that intrigues me but also concerns me is the the multiple parallel storylines that are going on that that technically peripherally are related but not not hardwired into the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cromwell's investigation has nothing to do with Istra necessarily he'll he'll uncover things as he goes that the audience can say ooh Istra's going to have to deal with that but Istra and Cromwell they don't know each other they're not connected are they not at first no not right. until she goes to eventually three. right 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 i'm glad you know. mentioned that actually because i that's something i kind of i got off on a bit too there was the idea at the end that I have the I have the same problem where I'm writing a story and I have all these threads and then at some point I just kind of toss all the carrots and the celery and the beans into the soup pot and <laughs> hope that it becomes something you know big. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying that those threads tend to get tossed together in the hopes that they'll combine. And when you had said that Istra goes to Cromwell again, my my first reaction was to suggest why wouldn't Cromwell go to Istra? Mm. Because I don't see any reason why she would even be aware that he exists. Well, especially if Istra is tied so closely to Miller, that would make sense that Cromwell would want to connect with her and learn more about Miller right, through her. Right. That kind of I like that. What do you got, Gareth? I was I was just going to say the uh, you could pull that together if Miller hired Istra because she was a psychologist because and he wanted to see if she could work out who he was and what he was doing uh, because he's got. Even though he believes completely in what he's doing, he has unconscious guilt about it. And, but he also has the vanity that he wants to test his intellect against somebody else. And he wants somebody to, to figure out what he's doing so he can kind of... He, yeah. he, needs, he, he needs a witness because he's got the vanity. He, he's doing this, but he kind of wants to say to somebody, look what I'm doing, but he can't. So sort of a Zodiac killer sort of thing. That's intriguing. Yeah, so he's he's getting it in the hope that she'll somehow piece this together and, and he'll get some 
some approval or acknowledgement from a what he sees as another intellectual and if if that's the case and she is very close to him Cromwell would know that she was close to him and so he would approach her to try and get information I so so Gareth if I understand correctly like like Miller would bring you're proposing that Miller would bring Easter on and like maybe drop an anonymous profile in front of her and and uh, uh you know, ask her to to explore that, or or how, how would you see that game of cat and mouse between Istra and Miller unfolding? I'm I'm not sure. I think he would be he would be dropping dropping her hints in in some way, almost like you know, wanting to be caught out, not kind of with a nudge and a wink and out ee, but you know, he would be <laughs> possibly without even realizing it himself. He's got her Suppose sure, he okay. is bringing her in on a, a weekly or a monthly sort of uh, let's review your job. And I notice you've been speaking with this client, you know, this, this soldier. How do you feel? And, you know, he's feeding these soldiers to her particularly, specifically, you know, to, to, to detect what she's detecting from them. And he's using that as a tool to pick her apart. You know, I put this soldier in front of you, and then we review at the end of the week. You know, so what do you? What have you discovered? What does this tell you? And you know, I don't know if I'm being clear with what I'm thinking there. I, I can see. I can see now. Again, this all has to be geared towards ultimately the the reverse engineering of God. Um, so maybe uh, uh, what maybe Miller has been making subtle tweaks to these soldiers that he's re-engineering for the military uh, and incorporating elements, bits and pieces of his big God formula into these individuals. And they are breaking down and it's threatening his military contracts. If, if Istra is the preeminent uh, uh, nano neuropsychologist mm. who has made an extensive study of the interaction of nanotech uh, gene therapy and psychology, then he would bring her in to save ostensibly his military contracts, mm. but also to root out the problem with his God uh, uh, particle, which would make for a very cool um, uh, act two revelation when she figures it out and finds out what it is. And then at the same time discovers that Miller is, is, far more damaged than she initially thought. I like that, especially in the sense that if she ends up being the key that makes the God plan work, then she's the person who's avoided technology her entire life. And she finds now herself culpable being yeah. the ingredient that makes this, that makes this uh, poutine work. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth, what were you going to say? I was going to say um, to, to reinforce that uh, perhaps the reason she, has remained untouched by nanotechnology are religious reasons. Maybe Ooh, she, yes. Maybe yeah. she's a, a strong Catholic or some other religion, or maybe she's an atheist. But that wouldn't there wouldn't be any religion. But anyway, but he wants to confront her with his image of God, um, mm -hmm. and get her opinion. Because if she if she belongs to a particularly strict Catholic sect, maybe that does not believe in physical augmentation, then. She's kind of, and she's untouched. He, he, he's maybe trying to get her un, unsullied view of God or something. I, I don't and know. even her approval. I mean, yeah. somebody who is so devoted to a deity. And I can see, after the ripping, I can see sects of established religion, Catholicism, whatever, evolving branches that are vehemently against 
uh, uh, technology of any kind, and certainly nanotech, especially if the ripping uh, uh, rooted itself in the biology of nanotech more so than the manufacturing there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. I do have a scene where she visits a a, a a church, and that figures in minutely, but I didn't bring it into this discussion, but that, that, no, it's, that's I, doable. I think that's, I think that's something to explore, because religion's a part of any culture. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Gareth? I'm sorry. I was just going to say that could feed into her splits um, with her art with Cave, uh, if yes. they originally split because he was producing work that maybe offended her or, or put her in a difficult position within her religious community. Or something right. like that. That could that could be another. It could run that undertone through the whole. That could be a way of demonstrating her her faith or her, her belonging to this sort of apocalyptically um, technophobic cult. And it's a wonderful way to bring in some some not info dumpage, but to to reveal more about the culture of the world where the story is taking place, which I think is going to be just as important as the story itself. The the environment that you've created here, Dan, uh, is as much a character of this story as the characters that you've outlined. Mm-hmm. And every opportunity to bring that out, and you know, religion, absolutely. There's Ryan, what more... else? You yeah, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, there's one more piece of that that uh, that keyed off of what Ryan said earlier. Uh, and I think what you said too about having two people who are two pure people seems seems odd. I and I haven't mentioned it here, but I also have a concept that there are quite a few people in this. This is sort of like the everything is a tipping point in this story. It's you know, the the nanotech is almost a magic element, but it's hindered. You know, that's the sort of like pipe bomb theory I was talking about, where it's some some takes on nanotechs that have it too easily that you know since you have nanotech you can do anything why not fly no it's there's too many restrictions there's too many trade-offs so one of the things i have here is almost like a racism going on in the culture in the popular culture where you can't tell by looking who has the stuff inside them so maybe you're dirty and maybe you're not so there's entire groups of people on the street that are looking at each other askance and sideways and I, maybe you're dirty i don't want to be near you cuz i could it could be infected so there's and a, a lot- subculture that wears it proudly and says hi in your face exactly. dudes, you know the punks and all that yeah 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 that's Absolutely. a that's an interesting point. I think that's something you should should hang your hat on because I've always liked the idea that nanotechnology or nanites specifically can behave like any biological matter and therefore they are quite literally infectious if they want to be. Mm-hmm. And how does a culture exist where the technology they use to, you know, do the things they do, how do they operate when my nanotech and your te- nanotech might to get together and not agree? And yep. you know the only way to really be safe is to stay clean. That's an interesting point. Sure. I don't. I don't want to get too far away from what we were talking about there. There was a couple of moments while we were all riffing about why Estra's involved that that I wanted to chime in on. But I think you've got yeah. some directions there. I would suggest one thing that um, I, I the the plan as it's proposed so far to have Miller bring her in so that he can sort of have that witness. I like that idea a lot. I would also suggest maybe as another thought that it might be for himself and the fact that he is a human being who is sacrificing human beings to find God. Now, yeah, he, he believes that plan. You stated that very clearly. He knows where he's going. But at the end of the day, he's still killing people to get there. Right. And, and if I were a God-fearing man, and I'm kind of assuming Miller is, um, and stop me if I'm wrong, I would... I would worry a little bit about where my mind was going, and maybe that's another reason why Escher could be brought in, is to help him deal with the pain of what he's doing to people. Well, I think that, that's that very act- valid. 
Go ahead, Dave. That, that raises a, a good point, Ryan. I'm, I'm curious about the notion of Miller as protagonist, because traditionally, protagonists have an arc. There is a transformation mm-hmm. that they go to. The more dramatic the arc, the better the story. Yeah. And, and I'm not getting Miller's arc through this story. At this point, he's, he really is the antagonist uh, uh, to, to Istra's protagonist. Even, and, yeah. and I know that you've flip-flopped those around. I'm, I'm not sure that's working for me. Uh, Gareth, what, what do you think about that? I'm not sure. I think, I think it's going to be very hard to sustain audience involvement with somebody with the kind of homicidal morals of being the merciless. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if it can be done, I mean, there's a, there, there are great anti-heroes in literature, aren't they? Like the way back with uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Onward. Sure. So it, you know, it, it, it's possible, but I, th- I think in, in, in terms of story, you're going to probably find that it's gravitating towards Easter and Cromwell as, as protagonists. What if, what if, what if Miller doesn't s- come upon the, oh yes, what if he doesn't come upon the reverse engineering of God until act two? What if throughout the beginning of the story, he is working on eliminating the last uh, uh, problems of humanity in terms of disease or aging or something along those lines. And, and he is poised on the brink of being a good guy or a bad guy and, and fill the audience with, with all of his, his benevolence and his, his pregnant, he doesn't start killing people. Uh, you know, he's, he's really broken up oh. about the, the, the hardships. Go ahead, Gareth. What do you think? Sorry. I can just, I can see the scene. Miller has been, uh, doing the experiment. There's some, particularly gone wrong in a particularly bloody and visceral way and he's walking out blood all over his coat walks out goes down to the church uh, in the rain kneels down there nobody else there oh god you know what am i doing am i doing your work why don't you answer me and then it hits him that god is faulty and he can rebuild him yes it's almost like salieri from from mozart and that is the big thunder crashing organ scene that, you know, that's when it takes off. And that's when you see how that character came to that place as right. opposed to him starting in that place. So and bringing his revelation into that story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. You've got to have that to make him, you know, he's got to have the origin of why he's doing it. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, you know, for that first part, you can take the issues the larger issues of Miller and and the, the 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 theme that you were talking about, nature versus tech, and so on and so forth, and and you know create a smaller microcosm of that drama with Cave and Istra. You know what if what if Cave returns and he's already implanted, mm-hmm. he's already wired up and is hiding it from her, and and. You know, one of the things that you talked about is the underground and the Fight Club, mm-hmm. uh, all the way in Act Two. And it's like, dude, that is so hot. That is smoking hot. I want to see that in Act One. I want to see Hex and Cake in Act One. I want to see cyborgs fighting each other, and and uh, on the, the the seamy underbelly. I mean, seeing seeing that parallel of of the the dark effect of tech uh, uh, through that underground, through Hex and Cake, and have Cave being sort of the priest, the med- intermediary between the two, having Istra hold one end and and Cave the other, and Thalia. What if Thalia is Istra's sister? 
and and that introducing that that subtle dynamic there so that you know the sister having love uh, i don't know i might be complicating uh, no i think i think you should go somewhere in that sorry i'm about to sneeze i think you should go somewhere in that vein because that's one okay. of the things that i was uh, not not necessarily sister but that's one of the things that i had trouble putting my hat on too is and i've always had trouble with this i've always had trouble with the concept of the the professional psychologist who went to school and did all this stuff and the prostitute being friends and i don't mean that in any disparaging way it's just they're two very very diametrically opposed classes of people by moder- by our standards today that I, I would like you to address that if you don't mind if if is that yeah. is that still true in the future and if so why would these two people be friends let me let me interrupt just a quick second gareth you were going to say something just real quick there i was right? i was just going to say that you could make that work if thalia was cave's sister oh mm. and then istra in order to find cave goes to thalia yeah and if cave comes back to istra in the first place because he's got debts from this underground fight club yes so he he tells her that it's the art and that the art's not working but really he's been placing bets he can't he can't cover he's been not throwing fights he should have thrown so he oh yes and so you, now you've got the whole mob and the underworld involved there as well yes i like that that's sexy and now and now cave is a bastard cave is a dark sullied broken man who's trying to leverage an old relationship for money uh which poises him beautifully for some sort of reversal later on uh where he can reclaim some semblance of nobility only to have it destroy him utterly in the end or something along those lines i don't know oh oh, that's gorgeous (laughs) istra redeems him yeah, yes, I, there you go. Oh, yes, she, she becomes the Christ figure. Oh, God. And then she becomes God, because that's what Miller is doing to her. <laughs> oh. Uh, like Cave's, Cave's primary artwork, as I've had it drafted, is Christ-related. It's, it's almost entirely Christ stuff, to the point where you know that, that was a problem for him. It's like, why are you so fixated on that figure in this day and age? And it was the idea that everyone treats technology that way. God has been forgotten nice. in, in for the sake of technology. Or, or tech is our new God. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm watching the clock tick down mm-hmm. uh, as we speak, and, and I, want to, I want to bring us into that final stage of, of the roundtable where we go around one more time around the table <laughs> and uh, uh, offer, offer Dan some words of wisdom to send him off uh, uh, to write this epic tale, um, which, of course, Dan, you must do now at this point. We're all jonesing Neat. for it. Um, and also, any, any other ideas that maybe you want to uh, plant the seed for or things that we did touch on uh that you hope uh, that you wanted to throw in there so gareth we'll start with you final final thoughts suggestions and and uh, uh words of pearls of wisdom uh for master ritter hey fun thoughts dan i really really want to read this story so <laughs> thank you. get writing uh Cromwell, yeah, thank Cromwell, you. we haven't really touched on so much private eye um, you, you said he might not be a, he might not have um, a, a nanotech infection that's how about if it's because it was burned out of him during a case? He's oh. got obsolete, faulty. I love that idea. I love nice. burnout. Yeah, he, he, I dig he's that. burned out. He's fighting to come back, but he's he's got a. It's not because he doesn't want to be trapped. It's a disability he has mm. that yeah. it's been burned out of him. Just you know, just a thought. But love it. I think I, yeah, it's, this, it sounds like this is going to be one hell of a book, and I can't wait to read it. Thank you. 
Ryan, what about you, sir? You know, there's this big topic here that I hadn't flagged that I wanted to talk about, and we <laughs> yeah, just we never there. got there because there's something that I just never got clear, which is, yeah. and I, I we can't go into it now because I think this is huge. But I want I want to make sure that I'm my kind of wrap up here is that you've given this a lot of consideration because I do think you've got an awesome story idea here. I really do want to read it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm nervous about the end. I am nervous about the, you said, uh, I'm looking for the line here because I wrote it down and I, apparently my typing sucks. God plan <laughs> still goes online. You, you use that phrase, the God plan right. still goes online. I don't know what that means. I want to know. <laughs> and I, I, I know you're more intelligent than to have like a big puff of smoke and a guy in a toga go like, Hey everybody, I'm here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what the Smelled God like plan, <laughs> that's right. He's so friendly too. He plays hockey. Um, <laughs> is, Canadian. what, what is the God plan? I, I'm, I'm not asking you that question. I'm just saying, I want to make sure that you know in your mind what the God plan is and what it's going to mean to your story when at the end of it, it happens anyway. And it could be as much as a bunch of sizzles and sparks and like a computer breaks down and Miller's left going, shit, that's not what I thought was going to happen or something much grander. But that's a big point. The question that has to be answered is what was the flaw that got fixed? Oh, there's a billion questions that need to be answered. That's why I had this big thing here saying, like, find out about the God plan, a nice big Mm -hmm. bold font. Um, We don't have time, I don't think, to go into that right now, but I do think that's something that I'm I'm interested to hear more about. In fact, I'm of the mind where I'm probably going to send you my email address because I need to know and I can't wait for you to write the damn thing. Well, I I, actually, Ryan... Ryan, I think I think you've actually raised a, a critical point that I don't think we can close the episode without. So I'm gonna I'm gonna extend the episode just a few minutes here, uh, uh, and and invite a, a, a quick uh, quick quick input Good. from everyone as far as what is uh, what happens when the God Plan goes on. What is it that the God Plan is, and and maybe some of the some of the ramifications thereof. Gareth, do you did, did, do you have any ideas or thoughts along those lines? Well, it's it's the most literal bare sex machine, isn't it? It's <laughs> good point. The um, it, it it could go several ways. It could be a a consciousness uh, within you know a a nanotech ball of self-referential processing array that becomes conscious as thinking it is God, looks around at the world and immediately oh, destroys immediately destroys itself or it could consume Miller um, and take, you know, using nanotechnology, take Miller within itself and take Miller off somewhere to some hyperspeed nano, hyperspeed computing nirvana, or it could kickstart a singularity. Um, you know, there, it could go in so many different ways from there. So yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, like what, whatever it is, whatever it is, if you're, spending the entire novel waiting for God to show up. <laughs> that better be damn well show up. When he does. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. It, I like, I like that. That gets me thinking of that old, uh, that phrase, um, if you show a gun in Act 1, you better shoot someone in Act 3. I feel like what you've done by suggesting mm-hmm. that you're trying to build God here is you've shown us a holster in yeah. in Chapter 1, and now I'm waiting for the gun to be put into it. I, I, I got a moment there. I, I, I This is a terrible idea, so just laugh and move on with your life. But uh, Gareth, when he was talking about it, I, I went back to the conversation he had at the very beginning of this, which is how does half of the planet get destroyed? Is it possible this has been done before? And if so, Ooh. if that's if it's a singularity, is it possible that we we just did it to the other half of the planet? 
Ah, uh, boy, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what if what if that's a tough uh, one? The, the ripping was caused by a, a god plan that that continued unabated, and sucked. this god yeah. plan was kept in a jar. Oh, what if the god plan has been using Miller the whole time to recreate itself? Oh yes. Yeah, yes, that's the ripping it, yeah. the ripping was yeah. successful, and and uh, somebody uh, threw in a nanovirus or something to make the god plan fail, and and it we discover oh god that's awesome uh, that yeah all along Miller's been been played and duped to to reconstruct the scenario so it can come to pass. Oh, this is a dark so story, this? Dan. I've been writing some short stories in uh, in the wasteland, which is what I've been calling it. And uh, the Nano Rimo this past uh, past November, the story I'm working on for that takes place in that wasteland. It's called the Eclipsed. Um, supposing this ripping uh, was necessary to dismantle enough molecules and dismantle enough atoms to have the raw material material and enough at hand to construct God plan, which set all this in motion. Yep. Yeah. I think I I like that because I think it takes your world and it takes the more insular version of this story and clicks the two of them together in some way at the end. And we go, it's that aha where it's like, Oh my God, all along you've been talking about half the planet not being there. And then at the end it's like, that's why, of course, why didn't I see that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and that also, I mean, the ripping. I mean, obviously, Gareth glommed on that right away. We all have in one way or another. Uh, uh, it's it's this big eight hundred pound gorilla sitting in the middle of your story, and now, if we wire that in, if we make it either the result of an attempt to sabotage the God Plan or a failed attempt at manifesting it, now suddenly you have your your work is made even more harder, Dan, because now you have another story you need to tell inside of this, <laughs> and that is the story of the ripping. Uh, we need to see refugees from the ripping. Maybe Cromwell is a refugee from the ripping. Uh, maybe the damage that he took was taken during the ripping. I don't know. Or 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 during his time in a ripped community or something along those lines. I don't know. But you definitely need to give the ripping a, a, a more prominent position in the cast of characters now uh, uh, among the rest mm-hmm. of your cast. Um, holy Dig crap. It. Yeah, this is... This yeah, is I know. Epic. Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> holy crap! Literally, um, I, I as much as I enjoyed Hex and Cake, they got short shrift in this episode. And uh, I, 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 my one thought is that if Thalia is is going to be the the Virgil of the cyber world, um, then then I'm Hex and Cake are, are kind of now marginalized a little bit. I don't know. I. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more of, of these guys. I can see them spawning their own sub-series. I'm already envisioning what they look like and how they talk. They're, they're, that's a very evocative image, so I, I just want to put my plug in for them. Well, and, and my last thought is is that you know the, the whole idea of, of the, the contact lenses and the, the, the think pads and all of that information, I mean, basically, whoever controls that is omniscient. And mm-hmm. so, consequently, it's got to it's got to be the framework for the god uh, as it moves forward. They just that just seems so perfect. It's, it's like everything's being set up. All we need is a god consciousness to step in there. 
So, wow. Uh, gentlemen, uh, Dan, first of all, thank you, sir, so much for, for stepping up and offering a story. I know that's never yes. easy. And uh, we welcome. are so very grateful that you did so, sir. I was yes. thrilled to do it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's the deal. We are, once you write this, when this becomes a tangible reality in the world, uh, please let us know, first of all, because we're all going to devour it instantly. Uh, and second of all, uh, we will have you back sir and we will knight you we will make you a knight of the round table that's the carrot baby so i will have that very cool very cool gareth thank you so much you 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 are you are the reason why we bring uh an experienced author into the mix the ideas the 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 thematic elements that you introduced we are so very grateful that you took the time and uh and shared so generously with us we appreciate it absolutely my pleasure absolutely i can't wait to read the book yep us too us too oh geez ryan final thoughts as we wrap this amazing (laughs) thing up Uh, i don't know man i i I don't want to (laughs) go i know i want this bad boy to go for another hour i feel like there's so much more we can we can do with this i'm having such a good time yeah final thoughts yeah i got a billion and a half of them can i pick (laughs) one right now no 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 because they're bouncing around in your head that's right what first uh, oh, I agree. Cool. And, and you know, one way that, the, that you can continue this discussion, guys, is, is to, to throw a comment or two yep. when the episode drops uh, on the post. So many of you, dear listeners, uh, have done so. And it really does extend and continue the conversation uh, beyond our signing off of the podcast. So please feel free to do that. I know I might be making a trip or two out there and uh, perhaps Ryan as well uh, and so many of the others out there. And dear friends, thank you for hitting the play button as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you had as awesome a time as we did, then spread the word. Let everyone know that the round table is out there and purveying awesomeness wherever we can. Uh, a review out at iTunes is always welcome. As I said, a post, a comment on the post uh, at the website, www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're at Twitter on at Writers Podcast uh, and at Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Now, we're, we're all sitting here going, ah, there's so much. But you know what? It doesn't end here. We may sign off soon, but in a couple of days, we're going to start it all over again. We're going to have another awesome guest host, another courageous, that's my new word, creative and courageous, courageous uh, guest writer offering up a tale for discussion. Uh, more writerly goodness, more literary gold than you can cart away in a very large wheelbarrow. Uh, we do hope that you will join us as we as we continue the quest for literary gold. But that's a couple of days away. So Ryan, what do you think, man? What what should they be doing? You know what I'm going to say, brother. You got to stay hydrated. <laughs> stay hydrated. <laughs> Keep forcing the fluids. Uh, Brian, uh, uh, sitting there as I know he is holding his newborn mm-hmm. son, even as we speak, uh, uh, is 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 saying go right and then passing out. Um, and I will tell, I will tell you that, dear friends, you always find what you're looking for. So set your sights on wow, set your sights on fabulous, and dear friends, you will find it. We will see you in a couple of days to pick it all up all over again. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. 
That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.